five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. Happy New Year and welcome to the first Space Cube podcast of 2018. My guest this week is Andrew Jones, a journalist based in Finland who follows China's space program. He writes for GBTimes.com and has written guest blogs for the Planetary Society as well as for Space News. In this week's podcast, Andrew and I are going to delve into China's space program which has set an ambitious schedule of possibly launching more than 40 rockets this year. Welcome, Andrew, to the Space Q podcast. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Well, to start, what can you tell me about China's first launch of the year, which happened earlier today? Well, typically, and unfortunately, there was no live stream or, or TV coverage of this and no indication that the launch had taken place until around about 40 minutes later when uh, the the PLA and the Chinese state media announced that the launch had taken place and that it had been successful. So uh, that's the, the first launch of the year in which could be up to 40 launches and this was carrying two Earth observation satellites for a company called Spaceview, which is uh, setting up a constellation of, I think, about 25-plus Earth observation satellites, mostly optical and some some video satellites. So the, the two today, they'll be providing, I think, um, around 50-centimeter resolution. And these are commercial Earth observation satellites as opposed to the government-run ones? Yes, that's right. They're a commercial company, but they are linked to the uh, China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, uh, CASC, which is uh, the main contractor for the Chinese space program. So they're kind of, um, they, they have the link in a way, but they're operating somewhat separately. As many businesses in China do. So going back to a comment you made at the beginning uh, with respect to the live stream and the announcement of the launches, do you see that uh, continu- continuing on into the future where you know China will continue uh, not to broadcast the, the launches live, but rather, if it's successful, say something within a reasonable amount of time, if you will, and then post the video afterwards? Yeah, I don't. I don't really see much change to that. Really, I mean, the, China's got four launch sites. Uh, three are inland and built during the Cold War and run by the People's Liberation Army. So it's it's quite tight there. Um, I think in one of the sites, actually in um, Sichuan Province in Xichang, you can you can go there as a, a tourist. I think you can get a ticket and kind of have a look. But otherwise, it's it's very closed. So I don't see much change. However, with the new coastal launch site uh, at Wan Chang on Hainan Island, um, that's a lot more open. And all the launches from there, so the, the Long March 5 and then Long March 7, the new the new launches, they, they've all been live streamed and lo- lots of um, spectators and so on. So those, I think those will continue to be open. But for the rest, it's largely going to be... Um, no coverage unless it's a major mission like a Shenzhou group mission. Okay. So 
China has set a course in 2018 that could see it launch more than 40 rockets, as you reported in GB Times on January the 5th. China has never launched more than 22 missions in a year, and last year they had hoped to launch 30, but they wound up launching 18. Are they being realistic with their target of 40-plus launches this year? Yeah, that's a a good question. It's going to be very interesting to see how they how they go with this um, planned cadence. Um, It's not completely out of the blue in the sense that um, the China uh, Cask, as I as I said before, the main contractor um, last year, they were aiming for um, around 30 launches and they fell short because of they had a partial failure of the Long March 3B, which carries satellites to uh, like medium and uh, geosynchronous Earth orbits, and then that was followed up by the the failure of the second Long March Five heavy lift rocket. So that I, that ended launch activities for I think it was eighty nine days while they were kind of having reviews and looking into everything. So that really hurt the the kind of launch rate. So this year they're they're looking to kind of bounce back. They've got a bit of a backlog as well. So they're aiming for thirty five, and then you'll also have some some commercial launches as well coming into play. So um, you reported that between 10 to 18 of those launches would be for the Chinese global uh, navigation satellite system called Baidu. Uh, Is that because uh, they didn't get as many launched last year and they're trying to uh, get through that backlog that they're going to launch so many of them this year? Yeah, in part, I think so. Um, As I said, the, the uh, the Long March 3B, which is used to launch the the Beidou satellites, uh, that that suffered a partial failure. So that was out of action for a while, I think, until uh, October or November. So they were planning to do six to eight, uh, put six to eight satellites in orbit last year, which would mostly be, or maybe all would have been kind of uh, dual launches. So I think they got, was it one or two or three or four? And anyway, they had a, a backlog from this from, from last year. And also they've been linking the, the Beidou um, GNSS system to the One Belt, One Road initiative, which uh, we've probably all heard of, which is the Chinese President Xi Jinping's signature kind of strategy or initiative. So they, they want to get this up and running and tie this into some of those activities on the ground. So um, what are some of the other domestic, notable domestic satellites that they're going to launch this year? Well, for me, I would, I would say that the, um, the main launch, the, the main kind of satellite launch is going to be um, the Shijian 18 satellite, which is going to be a second version of the satellite the satellite they tried to launch last year with the Long March 5. So this would be a six to seven tons uh, communication satellite sent to GEO. So that ended up in the ocean with the failure of the Long March 5 last year. So it's not so much the satellite, although that's quite interesting. It's an experimental uh, telecommunication satellite, which would be highly capable. But it's more about getting the Long March 5 launcher up and running again. So... This was due to launch the, the Chang'e 5 lunar sample return mission in, in late November last year. However, the, the failure kind of uh, the failure there has delayed that mission 
per, um, most likely into um, 2019. So, as well as well as the um, as well as the Channel Five mission, that's also going to be so the first independent interplanetary mission that China will attempt uh, to Mars in 2020. But also, there's um, a variant of the Long March Five for low Earth orbit launches, and that's the Long March Five B. So they need to get this next launch right so that they can test the Long March 5B and then they can start launching the space station, which is already quite a few years behind. So the Long March 5 launches are, are quite critical this year. Um, what are some of the notable foreign satellite launches that they have planned for this year? Yeah, they have quite a, quite a few uh, international contracts which they'll be fulfilling this year if all goes well. So there'll be um, a remote sensing satellite for for pakistan uh supreme sat 2 which will be the first telecommunication satellite for sri lanka uh there could be a launch for for egypt which would be egypt sat 2 if i remember and there's also some uh collaboration um in february uh, upcoming we have jianghong one which has uh italian involvement they have uh, they've been involved in the in the science payload for that. It's uh, also known as the the China Seismo Electromagnetic Satellite. So that'd be interesting. And there's also a China France Oceanography Satellite, which will be going up, I think, in the second half of the year. And um, with regards to uh, China's fleet of launch vehicles, are there any changes, or should I say, upgrades that are planned for this year? Deeply yet, I'm going to be writing a, kind of a, a more in-depth preview of the year soon, so I haven't really got into that. However, I think they'll be testing a new upper stage for, for one of the, the older Long March rockets. And as well as this, there'll be a sea launch. So there'll be... Um, CASC will be taking their Long March 11, which I think it's had uh, maybe two flights so, so far, so they'll be using a modified freighter, taking that into the ocean and launching there with the with the view of providing commercial launch opportunities for international customers. Why a sea launch, though? Why not uh, a land-based launch? Well, I think that they, they must be looking at providing for companies who are looking to put up small small satellites but into specific orbits uh, rather than just offering, say, piggyback services. So there's actually a lot going on in this kind of small launcher area. So you have CASC with this Long March 11. Uh, you have Land Space, which is, um, I think is a, a spin-off of the Long March 11. That's going to be offering apparently low-cost, small, um, light-lift Capabilities and then uh, Kasik, which is kind of like a sister company to Cask, but is mainly a missile maker. So they're they're adapting their missiles to be uh, space launch vehicles. So they're also trying to get on, get in on this commercial market. So quite where the sea launch comes in and how all of these these launches are going to get a cut of the market, I, I really can't say. 
Yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around why the need for uh, the sea launch itself. So I don't know if you have the answer to this question, but, uh, you know, with regards to a sea launch, are we talking, you know, simply a barge that's uh, off uh, in a sheltered uh, cove somewhere? Or are we talking about something like Sea Launch, the company, where, you know, it's a substantial uh, launch platform that is moved uh, to a specific location out in the ocean to, to perform the launch? Well, unfortunately, the details of this have been very vague, so there's no images of the this modified freighter or anything like this or what kind of orbits or customers or, or kind of test payloads that they have in mind. So it's just a matter of wait and see, I guess. I mean, this would be later in the year if it happens this year. So it would be, it'd be interesting, and hopefully there would be live, live footage of this one, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Okay. Now, uh, one other th- aspect of, of launch, which is uh, obviously uh, quite important in the U.S. with uh, SpaceX, is their reusability of their first stage, is the, the Chinese government, and we'll get to the commercial side of it in a little bit later on in the show, but from the government side of it, is uh, are they working on uh, reusability of a first stage? Well, they hadn't been until recently, but... Um as you say, uh, SpaceX and uh, Blue Origin, to a lesser extent, perhaps have really shaken, uh, shaken things up. And late last year, the the uh, the main contract released what it called a space transportation roadmap. I think that ran up until 2050. So there's a lot of very interesting things in there, such as uh, I think there was a nuclear-powered shuttle for example, around that was around 2050. But they did note that they would be aiming to launch reusable first stages, I think, in the 2020s. But then by 2035, they would look to have all their, all their launch vehicles as, um, I think, fully reusable. Okay. So that, that's very interesting. And, and who, who published that report? Now, that came from the China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, that, you know, the the main, the main contract. Uh, sorry, the main, main contractor of the space program. So, quite how much of this stuff happens? I mean, it's all very, very much arbitrary kind of deadlines which they've set. But uh, it's a very interesting document to look at to see what they they want to do going forward. So let's talk about the, the spaceports a bit. So you, you've told us already that, you know, three of them are basically Cold War remnants and they're uh, PLA restricted, if you will. So they're very hard to, to get access. Uh, it's not like the average uh, tourist, whether it's Chinese or, uh, or foreign, will get an opportunity to uh, see launches from, from any of those spaceports. Uh, but the, the one spaceport that seems to be used the most is the, the Zhejiang uh, spaceport in Sichuan province. Uh, and uh, the reason for that, I, I take it, is uh, you know, where it's located, it's a, uh, it's a good location for a little bit further south. But the Wenchang uh, spaceport on the island of Hainan, which is the newest one, uh, is just 19 degrees north of the equator, but it's sparingly used. Uh, and is that just because the Long March 5 uh, track record isn't there yet? Or, um, uh, you know, will they be using uh, that spaceport more frequently as we go forward? 
Yeah, I, I think that's certainly the plan to use it more in the future. So the Long March 7 and the Long March 5 are the the launches which will be lifting off from there. So they're the the, the next generation, or rather the, the new generation of launch vehicles which China has just developed and tested. So these are, are cryogenic rather than the older hypergolic Long March vehicles. So the I think the debut launch of the Long March 7, that came in 2016. I think that's flown twice from from Wanchang. So the first one was a test. They had a, a test of a, uh, like a scaled down crude capsule for a next generation Shenzhou vehicle, which was very interesting. And that was followed up with the Tianzhou cargo spacecraft, which was used for a test for refueling the space station with the, the Tiangong 2 space lab. And then we've only had two launches also of the, the Long March 5. So in the future, the Long March 7 and its variants are apparently going to be used for kind of takeover as the workhorse from the Long March 3B. And of course, the Long March 5 will be coming into play with a lot more with the with the um, lunar and Mars missions, robotic lunar and Mars missions, which I have planned, and also the, the space station launches. And also, I think that the Long March 9, which is going to be kind of a Saturn V class super heavy launch vehicle, that would be going from a new complex on Wenchang when that's ready. So the, the interesting thing about Wenchang is, well, there's many, many interesting things, but uh, the fact is that they have to... Get the get the rockets there by ship, so they have to be shipped from up in North China from uh, Tianjin and brought back brought down to to Wenchang in preparation for launch. I mean, they they just don't fit through the tunnels or the the rail or the road networks overland. And what about um, at the moment? If I understand correctly, there's two active launch pads, or has the third one become active as well, or is that down the road? I, I think the, the third one would be for the Long March 9, but that's probably not going to debut until late 2020s at the earliest, unless the Long March 8, which is a new launch vehicle which they're developing, which might debut in the next couple of years, unless that is being considered for launch from one giant, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. All right. Now, um, just going through some of the... Uh uh, records of Chinese launches. Um, they've had uh, 160 launches in the last 10 years, uh, four failures, uh, three what are called partial failures, where I suppose the satellite was left in a lower orbit but was able to boost itself up into a higher orbit. Um, so that's not a bad track record. Um, and in looking at the, you know, where the uh, launches are actually occurring from, I noticed that Taeyun if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, isn't uh, used that often, maybe once or twice a year, but it was used last night for the uh, Superview launch. Is it, uh, wh why isn't it used um, that often? And is it primarily for commercial payloads now? I'm not quite sure about that. Um, I've only been covering the, the the Chinese space program for, I'd say, uh, just over two years or so. So there's a lot that I'm learning, well, pretty much every day when I cover this. Um, 
Taiyuan is used for sun synchronous orbits, and it wasn't in action much last year. But looking back at the the record overall, I can't really give much insight into that. <clears throat> oh, that's fine. So, okay, so let's uh, let's move on to some of China's other plans. Um, China is planning on going to the moon this year again with another robotic lander and rover, uh, the Chang'e Four. Uh, that mission will be to the far side of the moon. Ahead of that mission, they plan on sending a communication satellite into lunar orbit to act as a relay. Um, what's the purpose of the Chang'e 4 mission, and why go to the far side of the moon? Yeah, so Chang'e 4, the, the Landon rover, it was manufactured at the same time as Chang'e 3, which launched in, was it late 2013, and put the uh, Chang'e 3 lander and the Jade Rabbit rover on the moon. So, as they have done for each stage of this kind of three-step lunar pro- robotic lunar program, they, they made a, a backup. So, Chang'e 1 was successful, so they did something a bit different with Chang'e 2. They they mapped the moon, but then went off to uh, a near-Earth asteroid, and then so they have they have this backup for Chang'e uh, Chang'e four, and they were looking to do something a bit different. So I don't know if they noticed in the the U.S. decadal survey that there's a lot of very interesting science which could be learned from a, a lunar far side landing, and. Uh, this I think this was noted in the U.S. Decadal Survey. And also, this is something which hasn't been done before. So in political terms, I think the leadership would be very happy to have something which is a, a space first and would be giving China a lot of attention for its space ex- uh, um, space exploits. Now, what about the uh, communication satellite to, to act as a relay? Was that um, uh, a product of the Chang'e 4 mission, or was that actually something that was already planned? Yeah, it's a very good question. Very inter- that would be very interesting to know. Um, the decision, or the announcement rather, that China would be heading to the far side of the moon came in in May 2015 and there was no that was the first time that we'd really heard of it there were clues in 20 late 2014 when China launched the Chang'e 5 test vehicle where they wanted to test the re-entry of a capsule after going around the moon so that was to validate the technologies needed to you know bring samples back to earth so after the after that mission was successful they had the service module involved in that was sent to the uh, to the lagrange point beyond the the earth and the moon and that left a few people wondering okay this is interesting why why was this happening so then the, that was kind of the first clue so they've been thinking about this for a while but quite when the decision made and, and how that that remains very much in the dark okay so China also has plans to do a Mars sample return mission. What can you tell us about this mission and the timeline? Yeah, that's a very interesting mission. So as I mentioned before, China is looking to send its first interplanetary mission to Mars in 2020. And the follow-up to that would be a lunar, uh, sorry, the follow-up to that would be the Mars sample return. 
around 10 years later, which is extremely ambitious. So the idea would be to use the super heavy Long March 9 launch vehicle, which is soon to enter development, and launch this in a kind of all-in-one mission to to reach Mars, uh, perform EDL, land on the surface, collect the samples, and send them back to Earth all in one go. Um, I think NASA's kind of overviews of uh, their sample return mission in, in, involve multiple launches. So this is, again, something very ambitious and would have very clear scientific pay payoffs, and also it would be something which would give China tremendous prestige if they could pull this off, and even more so if they can do this before NASA. Okay. Um, now, we also heard that China is preparing for its third astronaut selection this year. Uh, how many candidates do you think they'll select, and what's the difference from this selection process than the past? Yes, so we, we had, the other day, there was the 20th anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Astronaut Corps. And after that, that ceremony, uh, Yang Liwei, who became the first Chinese astronaut in space in 2003, he, he announced that this selection would take place in the coming months. So he had already made a similar announcement back in 2017, back in June, and said by the end of 2017, we'll have this astronaut third selection round but it didn't materialize. I mean, I don't know why it's delayed. Uh, the only thing I could see really was the Long March fire failure, which delayed the, uh, the Chinese space station kind of plans, but why that would impact, I don't know. So the first two rounds, which were in 1998 and 2010, these were drawing from the People People's Liberation Army Air Force. So pilots for you know the, the first missions so they've, they've had six missions so far so these have been testing the Shenzhou capsules and also short stays on Tiangong space labs but now they're moving into the the space station era in which they're going to have stays of between three to six months up in low earth orbit and they're going to need a more more diverse crew. So they'll need payload specialists for the science plans, which they have. They have two experiment uh, space station modules, which they're planning to uh, join to the, to the core module, which should go up around 2020. And also engineers. All right. And um, so in terms of their human spaceflight program, um, when do you see the tempo of missions starting to increase? Yes, that's a very curious thing about the the human spaceflight project that the Chinese have going on. That the since uh, the first the first crewed mission in two thousand three, there's only been five further missions, and we're now in twenty eighteen. So there's been a very slow launch rate, but at the same time, they've been making fairly decent strides each time. So like a, a second crew member, a third crew member, a spacewalk, uh, docking with a, a space lab. So the the launch rate still isn't going to increase until after the first space station, uh, sorry, until after the first space station module is launched. And that's going to be around 2020, after they've got the, the Long March 5B 
tested and, and up and running. Uh, then you're going to have, a, I think, a cargo supply craft going to this, this core module. Then you would have the, the next Shenzhou mission. So we might not see that even until 2021. But once that happens, then they'll be looking to make up for lost time and looking to construct the space station by around 2022-2023 if the plans don't change. So it's still quite a way off. It's still a ways off. Okay. Now, um, looking at China from the non-governmental perspective, but, uh, you know, the commercial uh, side of it, and looking at um, commercial launch companies, it's my understanding that there's a company called Linkspace, uh, which is aiming towards uh, rocket reusability. I think before Christmas it was, or the holidays, they released a, uh, a video of a uh, scale model uh, with uh, uh, showing the uh, rocket maneuvering and hovering. Um, how does the government view such uh, these commercial efforts? And are there any other Chinese new space companies that you're aware of that maybe we should know about? Yes, yeah, so it seems that a couple of years ago or so that the Chinese government made a decision to allow commercial space companies and private space companies to to get involved in the space sector. So as I understand, technology access is still quite quite guarded. So these companies would have to be kind of blessed in a sense by something like CASC or sister company Kasic in order to get get their hands on the technology and be able to to proceed and as you say we have uh, link space which has been doing those those tests which we, we can uh, seen posted on on Twitter for example and then also there's one space which is a another another company which has uh, emerged in the last couple of years and also land space so these these last two land space and one space they, they I think they will be looking to to test their first launch vehicles their first orbital launch vehicles this year for link space I I think that they're I mean they're being much more ambitious as they are looking for first stage reusability so I think we might not see theirs debut until 2020 so aside from the commercial uh, companies that we just talked about land space one space and um, uh, link space um, there's also a, a government effort to uh, build a new uh, launcher for commercial purposes can you tell me about that so Kasich which as we mentioned before with the kind of the defense contractor which is also involved in the space sector they're developing their own solid propellant launch vehicles called uh, the Kwaijo launch vehicles so last year they they tested the Kwaijo 1A and they'll be looking to launch that again this year and one of their plans is to launch i think it's four of these within one week and launching multiple small satellites in each each go. And later on in the year, they'll be looking to debut their Kwaijo 11 launch vehicle, which is going to be um, a, a slightly heavier launch vehicle. So the interesting thing is that these won't be 
launching government payloads, but they will be looking for the commercial market. But I think what they're planning also is to provide some kind of backup to the larger launch vehicles, which the the, the main contractor is providing. Because when, when you have a, a launch problem, say with the Long March 7 or Long March 5, then they're going to be struggling to, to get their plans back on track. So they're developing one which I think will be 20 tons to low Earth orbit and incredibly uh, another solid propellant rocket which would be capable of lifting, I think, 70 tons as well. So they, they have some quite serious plans, but quite where they fit in, it's not quite clear yet. Okay. So my last question then, uh, a political question, if you will. Uh, while the U.S. and China are not in a space race per se, is the perception that China is equal to or ahead of the U.S. in space activities important to the Chinese government? That's very hard to say. It seems that they have very much their own their own plans. I mean, they are kind of kept out of the International Space Station project for a long time, as we all know. It's not clear if they would get anywhere near the Deep Space Gateway or anything like this. So they, they have their own plans, which would be the, the Chinese Space Station going up in the next few years. And then they have their eyes on a on uh, putting astronauts on the moon in the, the 2030s. Uh, in other realms, I think the the Beidou system is about economic um, opportunities, but also then getting rid of any reliance on GPS, uh, which would be a, a problem if there was a conflict. Um, so I don't think that they are looking to overtake or place themselves as alongside the United States. I think that's a, a long way a long way off. I mean, we, we see headlines a lot about a space race, but it's, I mean, it's not apparent in what areas China is uh, competing or the US is looking to head off the competition or anything like this. So it's an interesting question, and it's one that's going to keep coming up. But for now, I think China's happy kind of pushing along with its own plans at its own own pace rather than overtly challenging. Okay. Well, thank you, Andrew, for being on the Space Cube podcast. I hope you'll get, uh, we'll get you on the show again in the future to discuss uh, China's space program. Again, thanks very much for having me. It was nice to chat. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spacecube.ca or you can post them on our website at spacecube.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. You can also find Space Cube on Twitter at Canada in Space and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook at The Space Cube and don't forget to like us on Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn at Mark K. Boucher. And if we're connected, you'll get Space Q articles and the podcast notification in your newsfeed. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider rating the show and writing review if you're so inclined. <laughs> <laughs>